to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy or making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to find strategies, resources, and school models that support gifted learners. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Megan Shutt of Blaine Middle School in Blaine, Washington. According to the National Association for Gifted Children, the definition for giftedness is students with gifts and talents who perform or have the capability to perform at higher levels compared to others of the same age, experience, and environment in one or more domains. Whereas many see giftedness as truly a gift, one of my education professors once described being gifted as being, quote, cursed with an adult brain in a child's body. While I can see both the benefits and the challenges for gifted individuals, the more I learn about giftedness, the more I see the many roadblocks to success embedded in a traditional school system. Fortunately, there are educators like Megan Shutt who are searching out ways to best support their gifted students. Megan and I spoke in mid-April, and although I would have loved to visit her in nearby Blaine, we were already under a stay-at-home order in Washington, so spoke over Zencaster. Yeah, how are you doing? Okay. Uh, this is, it's just been such a strange, you know, trying to figure out how to teach online, like take everything that you do in a classroom and put it online. So many bugs and hiccups. And so it's just been sort of like, you're, you're just kind of always on and not really sure what to expect next. So it's fine. It's fine. But I sort of feel like a Jedi. Like I'm just like dodging lasers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, it's good. I kind of I kind of thrive on that stuff, so it's I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm doing well. Yeah, I read a really uh, awesome quote that's basically said that online teaching has made us all first year teachers again. Yes, yes, I couldn't agree more. I was wondering if you could say your name, who you are, what your position is. My name is Megan Shut. Like shut the door. Um, <laughs> it's spelled kind of funny, but every year kids can't figure out how to say my name. So shut, like shut the door. Um, I teach eighth grade social studies uh, this year, but I'm sort of our um, what do you call it? The utility player in our building. I, I I love middle school, and I have I have ADD. This is a little bit of I'm being vulnerable right away, but I have ADD, and so every two to three years, I sort of just get bored in my position. My principal knows this and he's really great and supportive. And so whenever something comes up that he's like, I think you're ready for this, then we talk about moving into that position. So I've done every, I've done sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, all subjects except for seventh and eighth grade math. So language arts, social studies, science in all three grades and math in sixth grade, two years. So. And then how have you found, you know, you talked about some of the struggles moving the stuff online, but is there anything in particular you've been really happy with in moving stuff online? Moving to a strictly online format has just been kind of like, it's fine. Like we're creating, it's, it's interesting. It's interactive. It's fine. But the real gem has been, I think the, the collaborative working with other teachers and that actually, if I can bird walk here for a second, that 
understanding of how I am working as a student, as this, the first year teacher again, right? Trying to figure out how to put all this stuff online and working with my colleagues. It's actually given me sort of this inside aha about what it's like for students to be working in an authentic project in a group atmosphere. And so it's kind of giving me that concrete example of what I need to move my class in the direction that I really want it to go when I get back in the classroom. The reason that I wanted to chat with you today was you work with gifted students, and I, I wanted to, to find out what that experience has been like for you and any lessons you've learned that you can pass along to other teachers. The gifted field is actually pretty new to me. It's not, but it is. It, it, so here's kind of where it started. I started teaching 15 years ago. And um, I had a couple of kids along the way that just stymied me. One kid named Justin, one of my first years, he was always like crawling around under the desks and, or, but when you'd go ask him, he wasn't, he, he was like in another place. Like he would sort of, I don't know, he would, he would like pull you into this story that he was creating in his head. He was a sixth grader. So whenever he would do um, an assignment in science, his, his other world would play into the work that he was doing. He just had this incredibly vivid imagination and could make connections that were just, just felt really beyond me at the time. And I just remember always going home being like, what do I do with this guy? Like how, how do I push him or continue to draw him in? Or what do I allow? Or what do I not allow? You know, I just remember feeling really stumped by him. And another girl early in my career stands out, um, Olivia, and she was a musician that was um, just this prodigy on the piano. Um, And everything she did was lyric. You know, we were, I was teaching language arts, social studies, seventh grade at the time. And she was just this incredible poet. And anything we did, she would pull in music or poetry or um, uh, lyrics of some sort. And I just remember thinking, I can't, I can't even offer this girl anything more. Like I'm not prepared for this. I have a general education, elementary education degree. And I just felt stuck. I felt limited in my knowledge. You know, I knew how to scaffold and support my kids on the lower end, but I had no idea what to do for these kids that had imaginations that were just running. It was like fireworks going off in their head. And I didn't like, it was beautiful and I wanted to encourage it. And I was like their cheerleader, but I didn't have a clue how to push them to the next level or support them. I finally, I don't even know, it was three or four years into teaching. I actually found a TED talk by Sir Ken Robinson. I don't know. Are you familiar with him at all? Yeah. I remember just like the, it, something clicked in my head. I was like, oh, like that is where, that's what I'm missing with these kids is, you know, we've been taught and I have been raised in this very academic education. This is what it is. And it is ringing bells and it is, you're going through um, the years, the grades with the people that are, what does he say, um, based on their date of manufacture, right? It's all the kids in the same grade. And I realized that these kids are just functioning at a level beyond what I'm prepared to teach, you know, and, and one of the things he says in there is, um, 
you know, we need to be waking kids up to what's inside of them, right? We need to, I think the, the illustration was of a, of a kid like unzipping his skin, you know, like his sad skin, right? And kind of popping out of it and, and just waking up to that aesthetic beauty of learning. And of course, I didn't get any answers from that, but it did help me to know that, ah, there's this, there's this beautiful thing out there um, that these kids can have. <laughs> and then it was, okay, how do, how do I do it? How do I get there? What do I do? Re- I mean, yeah, we had students at our school that were labeled gifted, you know, in, in our, in our um, attendance record, they have a little G by their name. And um, I think in the case of most schools, it was all of the, you know, they all qualified for the high math or they all, because they were all labeled as gifted, they all got put in the high math class. I didn't know what gifted meant, like that there were even different ways to be gifted. You know, like we just, our, our learning, our knowledge of it was so limited. Um, my learning and knowledge of it was so limited. And we just didn't have the professional development or the, the program structures um, in place to really teach teachers what that meant to engage and push those kids. So you come to this realization that you don't necessarily have the toolbox. So how did you start adding tools? I had my own children. (laughs) I had my own kids. And my daughter was this wonder as a young child um, in terms of her depth of asking questions. When I started seeing this in her, um, I would also see those things with my, some of my students in class that were gifted, you know, they, they didn't want to just comply or follow the directions or take the answer that you were given. They wanted, they wanted truth. They wanted real. They wanted that, you know, deeper understanding of just, I, you know, it was beyond curriculum. It was, you know, it was that magic, it was that fireworky magic place in their brain that they just, they were hungry for a deeper knowledge of things. And so, um, you know, my first tool was just engage with them authentically. That was kind of my first, just like, okay, these, these guys aren't, they're not just dipping their toes in the puddle. Like they really want full immersion into life, like whatever you can throw at them, give them. So that was kind of my own, you know, I stumbled on that on my own, thanks to my daughter, I guess. But from there, a few years ago, I learned that there is a, uh, it's, it's way tag. It's called the Washington Association of Educators of the Talented and Gifted. And every year they put on a conference and I was really interested in it. So me and a few others went and I, it was this whole new world. It was just, it was beautiful. I mean, really intelligent people talking about really cool things that um, kind of echoed what Sir Ken Robinson was saying. They echoed um, things I had been seeing and experiencing in the own, in, in my gifted kids in my classroom. It was good teaching. It was great resources. It was some of the best pro D I've ever had. I walked out of there a couple years ago with so many tools and links and websites and books and people and, um, you know, just ways to engage kids. What would be your top five of those? These are not in any particular order. So one of the resources that I really like is sanggifted.org. It is the social and emotional needs of the gifted. Oh, lots of articles, lots of different resources about 
what it's like to be gifted. Um, it's got, it points you in different directions of, I don't know. The big thing right now, I guess, is I'm going through their, their community, their library of articles as a parent and as a teacher addressing the social and emotional needs of gifted students. Um, for two reasons. One, I'm realizing how their social and emotional lives are really complex. <laughs> They're really complex. So, and I'm seeing this as my daughter now is entering her teenage years. And so as a parent, but also as an educator, like when our group, when, when our group of gifted students comes through our building, all of the teachers are like, okay, I've got this group this this time. You know, we have sort of one class where they all kind of hang together and it's an intense bunch. You know, they are just, they're fast thinkers. They're rapid. They're emotional. They want to, they're, they're explosive. Sometimes they're squirrely, you know, their asynchronous development says, okay, my brain may be really intelligent here, but socially, I don't really know what's going on here. You know, they, they can, be really, really wise and intelligent in one area and just, you know, years underdeveloped in another area. So the social emotional stuff is, is kind of wonky. So saying gifted is, um, has been a real lifesaver for me in terms of when I need resources and, um, how to deal with certain things. That's been great. Um, one of the books that I really like is from a lady named Kimberly Mitchell. Yeah, she is with Inquiry Partners, and it's inquirypartners.com. But she's got this um, book that I walked through as an educator in terms of um, developing inquiry, figuring out how to go about doing it well. At the end, you as a teacher walk through this inquiry process, and it gives you that sort of inside track on how to take your students through it really well. Um, she does a lot of work in inquiry, and I think for these you know, these gifted kids, inquiry is huge on so many levels, right? It puts the, the locus of control back in their hands. They have some say in what they're learning. They feel ownership. Um, they feel, you know, when they have ownership, then there's buy-in, right? There's a natural curiosity comes out. It's not imposed. It's not my curiosity imposed on them. And that's so big for these kids, so another resource that has been helpful for me is Gifted Guru. Lisa Van Gemmert, I think is how you say her name, but giftedguru.com. She's wildly entertaining as a speaker. Um, I heard her at our first Waytag conference that we attended. So intelligent. She's so engaging. And her resources are high quality and they're up to date. They're you know, she is in it. She's, she's not hiring out a bunch of people to do things for her. Like she, she is the curator of all of her stuff and, in, and she creates a lot of her stuff. She's got book lists and, um, uh, Mensa for kids. Um, she's got lists of, well, she actually created, um, an English, an online English class when we, when schools first closed for this COVID thing, she just decided to create this online class of these short stories, um, with questions that were engaging and she put them on YouTube and put them out there as a free resource for everyone. So she's just, she's engaged, she's active, she's widespread. She's mostly kind of language artsy. Um, but there's a lot of things that she covers in her resources. So I really appreciate her project at PBL, PBL.org, PBL works. So project-based learning, 
Um, this goes back to that inquiry piece, right? It's that, it's that engagement. It's that, that intrinsic curiosity, that intrinsic um, wonderment that it sparks in kids. Um, project-based, I am still learning. I am a student of project-based stuff and I love it, but I'm, I'm, I have very shaky sea legs still when it comes to this stuff. So their resources again are fabulous and they've got some ready-made project-based lessons and units actually right on their website for free. It's pretty cool. Are the gifted students in a separate class? Like in a... Yeah, good question. No, we are trying to do the model of cluster grouping. We're trying to do cluster grouping and our school is new at it. So it's, it's not perfect yet, but essentially what it is, is there's a small group of gifted students in a class that get to work together and, and pull off of each other. And, um, I think in the past, what's happened was, you know, schools would say, or our school anyway, we would say, well, we want, we want the gifted kids spread out through all the classes. Okay. But it was also under this assumption that, you know, your gifted students were your high, bright, good students, you know, positive role models and could be the teachers for the other kids in the class. You know, it's not the case at all. If you think about it, if you get a group of gifted kids together, they're often the ones that are just kind of out there, like they're making trouble because they're, you know, they're bored in class. They're kind of sometimes the troublemakers, you know, they, they're a, a squirrely bunch when you get them all together. At least this has been my experience. I took a couple gifted education courses when I, I went back to, to do a diploma. And I remember being shocked by the stat that gifted kids are disproportionately high school dropouts compared to a general population. Yeah. Isn't it wild? And it, it's, so what I'm learning right now, cause I'm getting my endorsement at the moment. And what I'm learning right now is how it's often gifted is often seen as this elitist program, but just as we support the kids on, you know, who maybe are uh, on a lower functioning end academically, these kids up here need that they need to feel a struggle also, or they, or it doesn't feel meaningful. It doesn't feel engaging or powerful or like, what's the purpose right? And so then they lose this direction and this drive. And yeah, it plays out in high school dropouts. It plays out in a lot of uh, lives that are not filled to their potential. It's sad. It's really sad. But I think a lot of it has to um, stems from our, our misunderstanding of what it means to be gifted. And then how with the clusters, how does that work socially? Like, has there been any social repercussions for having kids that are kind of segregated out? Like everybody must know that those are the gifted kids. Not really, because it's not like we have a group of, you know, 30 kids that go through all four classes together. We've got um, eight to 10 gifted kids in each of those classes like if they're the only ones in a class, if, if they, if we spread them out evenly, right, we have this equal distribution, that kid has a one, they feel out of place. Okay. Two, it's hard for a teacher to differentiate for that one kid. And so what happens is that kid often just becomes the teacher or another tutor, or they get extra work, you know, cause you want to keep them busy sort of a thing where with the cluster model, really the, the goal is to say, 
for the teacher on the teacher's end of it, it's okay. Here's a group of students for which we need to prepare curriculum that pushes them, that this is their basic education. In fact, Washington state law, uh, gifted, um, a gifted program, um, should provide basic accelerated and, and rigorous academics for these kids. That is access to a basic education. When you have these cluster groups, uh, teachers can, it's a little bit easier to say, okay, I need this unit to have these types of questions or this type of a project or this type of a product to, to be working on for these kids. That what they're participating in every day in class is what everyone else is doing, but to a little bit higher degree. Okay. And yeah, they can still get mixed in because the content is still the same. They can still participate in the big discussions as a whole group because the content is still the same. Um, but you're able to, um, just push the level a little bit more, you know, and then that allows them a a group of peers to bounce ideas off of each other. You know, is it when they're, when they're soloed out in a class to be the example in class, they don't have anyone else that, that's brain works in the same way. Of the stuff that you've done with your gifted students, what has been the lesson or unit that you've found has had the most success? Okay. Yeah, this was a good question. I, my mind instantly went to two things. I was like, well, successful in, in, in what way academic or like affectively. And I think, um, before I answer, I want to give a little bit of, um, context to sort of how I approach my classroom. And I, I, I sort of teach like my year is a concept map. Okay. So when I walk in to my classroom and I see my kids and I kind of get to know them for a while, I'm, I don't see a linear set of instructions. I really see a room full of humans that have academic potential, but also affective and social, oh, just stuff that they're going through as middle schoolers, okay? Questions that they want answered. And so as I'm getting to know my students, I really, um, I think subconsciously almost look at how, how do I see their needs playing out affectively and how can I work that into curriculum? Okay. So when I think about academically, here are some, here are some things that have worked really well. One is called hyperdocs, um, which is basically, it's just a Google thing. Uh, hyperdocs are documents mixed with different links uh, to videos or apps or, or documents or infographics, anything really, they incorporate uh, sort of this self-paced learning for students. So students can kind of go through at their own pace. Um, it maybe when I did it in science, it included data gathering, um, creating um, slides and presentations. And it was just kind of a, a, a lot of hands-on, but it all started in one place. Okay. So it kind of allowed for this differentiation. And I would I would mix into it these live demos, like this one that we did um, had to do with like how a GPS works. So they went through the the history and the project or their their own the hyperdoc and they looked at 
articles and they um, watched a couple videos and they, you know, did a couple things online. And then we had a demo day where we all got together and I rigged up this thing from the ceiling that was like this um, fishing line that was anchored to three different fishing lines that were anchored to a spot in the ceiling. And then I played them out at different lengths and I tied um, expo markers to the ends of them. So it was this idea of when students were sitting at their desk, I took the expo mark, the, the cap off, and I drew sort of a circle wherever that string, like the string would be tight, and I would draw the line around the room on the desks so that they could sort of see the reach of a certain satellite. And then I did that with the other one, and I did that with the other one to kind of demonstrate triangulation. So it was kind of like this, this focused computer work. And then we would come together for a day of just big, like using the class, drawing on the desks, you know, just like a live big demo. So kind of that back and forth, that variety of, um, it was very little lecture on my end. So it was me being able to just go around and, and talk to the kids, see where they're at, give them help, and then come back together for processing and demonstrations. And I love those. I love making those. Um, that was really successful for a lot of kids. I got a lot of great feedback on that one. The other one that I loved academically, the project-based learning is one that I started in with um, this year before school closed due to COVID. And it, what we did, so, so in my class that I have this group of high cap kids, we're doing, it's U.S. history, and they're just kind of plowing through the material. You know, they're, they're eating it up, they're doing great. And um, I can see that they want more. And now, because I have a group of them this year, I was like, you know what? Let's can we, let's try something. Let's try something fun. So I've been reading this book by Ted Dintersmith called "What Schools Could Be." I think is the name of it. It's got some great stories uh, from schools around the country of um, classrooms or schools or districts doing some really innovative and neat things with kids. And I had just read this one about a school in. I want to say North Dakota, basically about a, a small town and kids were creating access to the town's history by putting QR codes on the buildings so that people could walk by and snap a picture of it and read the history. And I just, I kind of proposed that idea to this group of students and they were through the roof. They were so excited. And I was like, look, this is, this is, you know, an idea that I found in a book and it's coming from me. So let me just toss that out there as, you know, a, a fire starter for you. You know, like what else can you guys come up with? What else do you want to do? What does this spark for you? You know, where does this make your brain go? And uh, they talked about it for a day or so and they came back and they were like, no, nah, we want to do this. This is what we need. So we pulled in um, some people from uh, the city of Blaine and they ran their idea by them. And these city, two city officials were like, yeah, this is great. This is exactly what we need. Like we've been trying to figure out how to boost tourism here. What would be helpful? And, and our little town already has a walking field trip. They already have like a, a paper brochure. We were like, we could take that and digitize it, just put it all online and create these, these QR codes. And then when people come by, they don't have to, you know, go find this walking tour somewhere. Um, they can just access it at any point. So they ran it by the city officials. We, they were jazzed about it. We pulled in, um, a lady who's a project manager for a local engineering firm. And she brought in project 
packets and she worked, walked the kids through, you know, how do you, how do you pull off a project like this? You know, so they had a day of that. They had a day where they actually went and, and talked, had a meeting with the visitors bureau, had to present and speak in front of these adults. So it, I mean, they were so excited. They, Oh, this is the other thing they had a, um, in the brochure that was the walking tour, they got a bunch of names from, you know, the, the local historians. And so they pulled in people and were interviewing these historians and, um, you know, getting permission and making sure that everybody's getting the proper credit and all that. But so they're, they're looking at the historical piece of it. You've got your writers on it. You've got your, um, website designers on it. You've got your, your people, you know, your, your really interpersonal people that really work well with other people. And so they're running the meetings and you've just got instantly these kids, have found their niche in this project. They've all got their piece in it and they're just on fire and it's rolling and it's so good. And then COVID hit. <laughs> but I did talk to our high school, our high school gifted guy, and he has said that, you know what, if we can't finish it this year, we can we can pull that into next year. So I we've got his support as well. You're providing these amazing opportunities to these gifted kids to do this project where they're going into the community and they're having these really impactful experiences. Why should it just be reserved for the gifted kids? Yeah, great question. I don't think it should. (laughs) I actually don't think it should at all. I think that it absolutely hands down should be something that is able to be accessed by all kids. So for me with this, this project, um, this QR code project in our town, it's me testing it out. It's me because, because the project-based learning thing is so new for me. I, I am, there's a little bit of fear in me, a hesitation to just turn my whole class over to this process when I don't know what it looks like. So for me this year, um, that project was that it was that litmus test, I guess, maybe I'm just, I'm trying it out. The thing with project-based learning is that, um, the differentiation is kind of built in, you know, so you can have, you can have your gifted kids run with it. It's this very open thing and you can have, you know, the general education population accessing the questions and the answers at the resources right where they're at. You know, you're more of a guide or a facilitator is what it's, it's seeming to me like is what I'm experiencing. And, um, oh no, hands down. I think, I think those, those experiences should be, should be open and accessible. Thank you so much for sharing your gifted education learning journey. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Aviva, this was so fun. I really appreciate you having me on. So there you have it, Megan Shutt on why gifted students need to be challenged and nurtured among peers that understand them in order to grow into their potential. The links to all of the resources that we discussed are in the show notes. If you want to find out more about what innovative educators are doing around the world, go to lessonimpossible.com. And if you like the podcast, please consider forwarding it to your colleagues and rating and reviewing it on iTunes. This has been Lesson Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin.